The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. My name is Michael Bocklig. I am your host, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and my very good friend, Bryce Kirk. How are you doing today, Bryce? Very well, Michael. Glad to be back behind the mic with you. Um, it's been a minute, to say the least. Yeah, you're you're on a new computer, even. <laughs> That's true. That is definitely true. I have to sound and look the best for this experience. <laughs> we should share with our listeners, we tried recording this about a week ago, but your computer might have been a little bit past its shelf life because uh, we had trouble getting you on. So I'm glad that you have technology working in front of you. That's right. All of undergrad and uh, grad school, that computer got me through, and um, I think it reached the end of its life. So. Well, hey, I mean, at least you got your money's worth, right? Well, well, thank God. Absolutely. <laughs> well, now you have a new computer in front of you, and we can get back to our recording. And we have had a lot happen since the last time we did a podcast episode, Bryce. We were kind of a little bit past the halfway point of Great Lent the last time we sat down and did this. And now we've gone through Holy Week. We have passed Pascha. So I should say Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen, or rather, truly, he is risen. Oh, man, you that. had to be an indeed he is risen. You know, you couldn't do truly. Come on now. Well, my parish now is an indeed parish. You so. leave St. Nicholas Church and you stop being a truly he is risen <laughs> Orthodox Christian. That's okay. I'll forgive you. Uh, but we are in the Paschal season, although we are quickly coming up on Ascension and Pentecost in just uh, about a week, week and a half from now. That's right. It has been an absolute whirlwind of a year, uh, to say the least. And, you know, we're happy to be back in the uh, proverbial recording booth uh, together. Um, but yeah, so we started doing the series again uh, around the beginning of Great Lent. Yeah. And the last time we did record, as you mentioned, was just past the halfway point. And, um, you know, a lot has happened. And Michael, I want to hear from you, I guess, what your experience was like going from the halfway point to Great and Holy Week and then Pascha and now. Yeah, I, I think that you're probably going to have a similar experience, although it's different for you now since you're in a new church this year, a new parish family. I'll say that every Pascha and especially the, the Great Lent season and the Holy Week leading up to Pascha, there's something new that seems like it's revealed to me uh, and something new that I learn either about myself or just I'm able to take take things a little bit further in my own uh, kind of spiritual life and my own experience of, of, of everything just gets deeper. And this year was no exception to that. And I think it's it's really very appropriate that the next of our Amen core values that we're going to be discussing is vigilance. Because, you know, I, I think back to like Lazarus Saturday, the, you know, celebrating the, the raising of Lazarus and then the feast right. of Palm Sunday. That's the triumphant entry of the Lord into Jerusalem. And it's very joyous, right? It's a very 
uh, you know, any feast, there's a lot of joy to that. But then very quickly, we're right into the bridegroom services of Holy Week and everything kind of changes. And the importance of staying vigilant is so critical to make sure that we can fully engage and get the most out of Great and Holy Week leading up to Pascha. And and I'm interested in your perspective. What was it like for you this year? Well, um, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm in a new parish community this year. Uh, I was chrismated at St. Nicholas. So uh, <laughs> this is the first time that I've been outside of, you know, my, my home parish in six years, just about mm. of being Orthodox. And, um, you know, it was, it was a different experience, but, uh, I had the joy of both being with the faithful and also serving in the altar and even getting a chance to chant, thank God, a couple of times. And so being in different parts of the service and being able to experience it that way, um, really just, I mean, the services and the fasting, being humbled by the fasting, as you mentioned yourself, you know, we learn so much about ourselves and Great Lent is a time of spiritual struggle at times. And it's also a, a time of, I guess, spiritual revelation as well. Yeah. And, you know, I do think of the prayer of St. Ephraim the Syrian uh, and especially the portion of allow me to see my own sins and not to judge my brother. Right. And so we begin to see our faults and you know, that can either frighten us or it can tell us, hey, we got to wake up here. Yes. And we got to repent. Well, and that wake up is exactly what we're going to be talking about. The need to be awake, to be wakeful, right. to be watchful. That's what vigilance is, right? Right. And, you know, getting into Great and Holy Week, um, we celebrate the Feast of Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem in the morning. And then in the evening, we start the first of three bridegroom orthro services. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of those hymns during those services, it really, I think it really exemplifies this. It really highlights it in a way that maybe if you weren't paying attention before, you could see it in the sense of, you know, you look back and you go, oh, this, this makes sense, right? We are being called to be vigilant. Behold, the bridegroom cometh in the middle of the night and blessed is the servant that he shall find awake. Yeah. Right. And the importance behind that of we got to be vigilant. And, you know, you think about that and you're <laughs> you're tired if you've, you know, gone through the fast almost in its entirety. And, you know, or if you've gone to most of the services. Right. Um, you're kind of getting beat up at this point <laughs> spiritually. And yeah, and you're almost at the end of the race. But there is this hymn. Blessed is the servant that he shall find awake. Yeah. And also. Thinking of the bridegroom services, you know, one of the themes of, of one of those bridegroom services, is the parable of the ten virgins, where you have the five wise virgins and, and the five foolish ones. And vigilance is clearly a very, very strong theme. I mean, those those wise virgins that saved the oil for their lamps and the unwise that were saying, hey, please give us some of yours because they didn't they weren't ready. Right. And it's this this right. theme of being ready, being prepared, having, you know, there's a Greek word called nepsis, which means wakefulness or watchfulness. Mm-hmm. And, and having nepsis means being really aware of reality, like living in reality and not allowing ourselves to kind of sleepwalk or uh, just not paying attention. You know, it always reminds me of the state that our country was in right before Pearl Harbor. 
you know, the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941 Mm -hmm. or more recently the attack on the World Trade Center on 9-11. You know, that that state of feeling uh, very comfortable and, and you can't really see the danger that's really there or what is about to happen. Right. Right. It's it's a shock. And I, you know, I'm. I wasn't around for Pearl Harbor, but I, I was. I wasn't old either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think either of us were. But uh, you know, I, I was, I was around for 9/11, and I, I was only five years old actually. But I do remember. Oh, Bryce, you're so young. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this was this was 22 years ago now, which is crazy. But um, yeah, it just reminds me how much older I am than you. But uh, yeah, I remember 9/11 too. I remember the shock of it, right? And it was a shock yeah, to the whole yeah. country. Well, the important, yeah, I remember seeing my mom's face with the television on, hmm. and you know, seeing what was going on. And obviously, you know, I'm a child. I I can't fully comprehend, but I knew something was wrong. And, you know, in those, in the years since you began to see people really come together during those Mm -hmm. times. And I think you saw the same thing in the second world war after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, that's right. The whole country really united. And I think the famous quote from the, the Japanese admiral was that they'd woken a sleeping giant. Right. And and really, that's exactly what happened. But it doesn't take away from the shock of the attack itself because we weren't prepared. I mean, I remember even just watching Pearl Harbor, the film. And I know, I mean, it's a it's a film, right? It's Hollywood. But mm-hmm. still, you see kind of the visuals of our, you know, armed forces uh, personnel in Hawaii wearing Hawaiian shirts, you know, sitting on the beach, relaxing, not really taking right. their job very seriously. I think there's something we can take away from those visuals where, I mean, it can apply to our everyday lives in a lot of cases. You know, when COVID hit, as an example, I mean, talk about something recent. None of us really were prepared for that, I don't think. And so, you know, a, a lot of things happened that we didn't know what was going to happen next. And really, as I think a society, we had not really thought through a lot of things. And now, I mean, isn't it just classic how, especially in the United States, we always are so reactionary. Now, if it happens again, we'll be ready. It kind of forced us into sobriety of the reality of a pandemic, for example, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I do remember when it happened and uh, we were blessed in Arkansas not to have total lockdowns. But, um, you know, we couldn't go to church Yeah, for almost two months, right? For a and while, remember, we, we were not able to attend. I remember that. Yeah. 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 And I remember being, you know, at home, having to watch the live stream on Facebook. And I'm like, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe I ever took church for granted. Right. Yeah. Even it, a, even the daily Vespers that would have, you know, five or six people show up. Like, I, I can't imagine life without it. Yeah, you think it's always going to be there. Yeah, and you right. you just never know. I guess you don't know what you have until it's gone, right? That's part of this kind of theme that we're talking about is that we we need to be prepared. We need to think about some of the things that maybe are uncomfortable for us to think about and be ready for things. Uh, and that goes along with vigilance. And and vigilance as a virtue, I think is is a very important one for us as men. Uh, especially if we're going to be the heads of our households, right? If we're going to be the priests of our families, if we're going to lead our families, to be in a leadership role, you have to be aware of the reality of potential dangers and to help protect your family in some cases or steer them away from danger if it presents itself. You know, that's one of the things that goes into being a man is stepping up and making sure that you're looking 
left and right. You know, I remember when I played football, Bryce, they always talked about, and you played basketball, you have to keep your head on a swivel, right? Right. You have to see what's coming from your left and your right side. And you can't just have blinders on and be looking straight ahead because you won't see what's happening next to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? Like you, you talk about how a quarterback needs to understand how to read coverage. Yeah. Right. Cause if he's not paying attention, he throws an interception, that's game over. Yeah. Right. And he's the leader of the team, you know, and it is important as you, I think you really do learn this in team sports, especially, or in boy scouts, you know, being vigilant, paying attention to your environment, paying attention to your competition at times, paying attention to what is going on around you and really, you know, being aware of where you're at and what's happening, what could happen, not obsessing over that, but, being able to make a decision in a, in a moment's time if necessary. Yeah. And there's applications of this even in the business world. And, you know, I, I think maybe I can talk a little bit about that just from my own experience is that, you know, there's been more than one economic crisis in, in my experience in my lifetime. Even recently, I remember the economic crisis of 2008 uh, when we had companies laying off their workforces and then COVID obviously more recently where a lot of companies put on hiring freezes, you know, economic conditions, knowing kind of what the best career decisions are. I mean, Bryce, you're just starting out in your career. And I know that choosing where to live was important and doing your homework and knowing, you know, what's the best decision for yourself to get established. If you have a wife and kids, it's even more important that you have kind of that stability and job security. So knowing uh, what career path to choose a lot of times may depend on economic conditions. It may depend on uh, the marketplace and what's in demand. You know, all these factors kind of go into even a young man when he's first starting his career, because you want to make sure that you have job security over the long term. And this is another, I think, element of vigilance, because you don't want to just go and and enter the workforce in, say, a declining market or in an area where there's less demand and it's there's not really the potential for future growth. Having stability is what allows us to bring stability to our families or to our future families. Right, Bryce? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it is a mark of, of being a good man. And, you know, as, as I've said several times, I'm not married and uh, I don't have any children at this point in time, but being able to cultivate virtues such as this and being able to have, a group of people or a handful of people, you know, older men or, you know, men that you can learn from in your circle that you can really kind of observe these things and take that to heart. And situations are different for everybody. Right. But it is important to really pay attention and be vigilant about vigilance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And, and take things as you learn them, of course, but also take things from those around you. Yeah. Well, Bryce, we have a couple of really awesome saints to talk about here in this episode. And I think in our prep, we had talked about mixing it up where I was going to go first this time. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that is right. Wanted to see what that would look like. <laughs> I don't know why you wanted me to go first, but I'm happy to do that. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm tired of talking all the time, bro. It's <laughs> It's your turn. All right. Well, why don't we just dive in then? And uh, since, Bryce, you had the idea that I would go first, I guess I'll be the one to start talking. Uh, we're going to yeah, start. The floor is yours. All right. We're going to start talking about a very well-known saint, I would say, in the Orthodox Church. And that is St. George, the trophy bearer. 
Uh, he's also called the great martyr George, and he's very well known in the Orthodox Church. And it's obvious because there's so many churches that are named after St. George. In fact, the first church that my father, who's a priest, was assigned to was a St. George Orthodox Church. And that was in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. In fact, it's still there. Wow. There's many cathedrals by the name of St. George, and we visited some of those together, Bryce. There's St. George Cathedral in Wichita, Kansas. That's right. In the Antiochian Archdiocese, there are a lot of St. George churches, and there's a lot of people by the name of George. <laughs> it's yeah. a very, very uh, popular name, uh, or Georgetta, right, for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, St. George was a warrior, and the church venerates as saints a number of different warriors, and many served in the Roman army. And St. George is one of the most well-known warrior saints, and I really wanted to focus on his story, especially as we think about the the core value of vigilance and how his life really exhibited that. And St. George is known as as a great martyr, victory bearer, and wonder worker, in addition to the titles I gave earlier. He was born in Cappadocia, and his mother was from Palestine. And so that's in particular why a lot of, uh, especially Palestinian Christians, hold up St. George. His mother being from Palestine Mm. uh, is is the reason for that. And I mentioned there's a lot of churches that are named after St. George. Uh, The first church, again, I remember being a part of was a St. George Orthodox Church. And I have a little bit of a personal connection to him for that reason. So I really enjoyed Bryce kind of digging into the story of St. George. I went much deeper than I had before. And I have to say there were some things that really not just surprised me, but inspired me. So I'm going to definitely share a lot of that in this episode. A lot of people may not know that St. George is the patron saint of Moscow, Georgia, and England, among other places. Of the many miracles that were worked by the holy great martyr George, the most famous are depicted in iconography. And in the Orthodox Church, the icon of St. George is one of the most striking and memorable icons ever written. And we see this icons in many churches, especially those that have St. George as their patron saint. Bryce, why don't you describe for our listeners what the icon of St. George looks like? Yeah, I actually have an icon of St. George uh, in my icon corner as well. Um, but you see him triumphantly almost with a flowing cape uh, with a long spear just taking out this dragon that he is trampling underfoot on his steed. And, uh, you know, he's <laughs> you see this this strength. Right. And it reminds me of when I was a boy. When I was very young, reading uh, stories of knights, you know, saving the the fair maiden from the dragon. Yeah. Right. And, you know, seeing this icon, uh, I'm sure we've seen this icon even before I was Orthodox. I'd I'd recognize this. And, you know, the uh, it reminds me of a medieval story in a way. It reminds me of really just being a hero, bravery um, and triumph. Yeah, and you mentioned having a fair maiden. There is actually a princess in the background of a lot of these icons. Sometimes you don't see her. She's not always present. But in a lot of the icons of St. George, you see him on a white horse slaying the dragon, like you said, with a long spear. And in the background, there's this young woman with a crown. So there's the fair maiden that you just talked about. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, actually. I was Mostly I'm looking at the foreground because I, you know, and another thing, Michael, too. I've always wondered what the dragon is, mm. right? I mean, 
obviously it's a dragon. You can discern that from looking at the uh, from the icon. But but what's the oh, story, right? Like right, there has what's to be. The story? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna share the story behind this icon of Saint George, and it's it's a pretty fantastic story. So here's how it goes. In the saint's native city of Beirut were many idol worshippers. Outside the city, near Mount Lebanon, was a large lake inhabited by an enormous dragon-like serpent. So there's your dragon, Bryce. Coming out of the lake, it devoured people, and there was nothing anyone could do since the breath from its nostrils poisoned the very air. On the advice of the demons inhabiting the idols, the local ruler came to a decision. Each day, the people would draw lots to feed their own children to the serpent, and he promised to sacrifice his only daughter when his turn came. That time did come, and the ruler dressed her in her finest attire and sent her off to the lake. The girl wept bitterly, awaiting her death. Unexpectedly for her, St. George rode up on his horse with a spear in hand. The girl implored him not to leave her, lest she perish. The saint signed himself with the sign of the cross. He rushed at the serpent, saying, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. St. George pierced the throat of the serpent with his spear and trampled it with his horse. Then he told the girl to bind the serpent with her sash and lead it into the city like a dog on a leash. The people fled in terror, but the saint halted them with the words, Don't be afraid, but trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him, since it is he who sent me to save you. Then the saint killed the serpent with a sword, and the people burned it outside the city. Twenty-five thousand men, not counting women and children, were then baptized. Later, a church was built and dedicated to the Most Holy Theotokos and the Great Martyr George. Bryce, this story is just a classic story of a hero who rises to the occasion and just saves the day. But he not only saves the life of the young woman in the story, right, the young princess, the ruler's daughter, but he leads over 25,000 people to their salvation as well. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it really does remind me of classic stories from literature, which, you know, I think they took from this story about St. George. He rode in almost fearless, if not completely fearless, and not of his own volition, not of his own trust in his self, but in, of his trust in God. Yeah, he made the sign of the cross, too. Right, right. And, you know, this this serpent obviously has a reputation. And, you know, there's a person there who is helpless, who needs assistance, who mm. cannot be saved without someone showing up to help them. Right. And, and, you know, I am reminded of, you know, even St. Alfred the Great, which we talked about before, you know, going into battle with you know, an expectation that nothing can go exactly as you want it to go, but it does. And it does because of his faith in God and because it was God's will that he could help out in this way and coming in saying, don't be afraid, but trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him since it is he who sent me to save you. Giving all the glory to Christ in this, giving all the glory to God, going to save the people and, you know, mentioning that, Many of the people, if not most of the people in this city were pagans. Yeah. And him doing something that none of them could do. Right. And that here is a hero that is not doing it um, for his own sake. Here is a hero who's could be a villain at the same time. You know, I do think of modern stories 
modern literature, modern film, hmm. uh, you know, things like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos comes to mind where your main character is an anti-hero and people were drawn to that for whatever reason, but there's no nobility in that. There's no yeah. honor. There is no self-sacrifice, right? These modern heroes are selfish. They are greedy. They are without courage. Yeah. Right. They're only doing things for self-preservation. Well, what does that say about our society, Bryce, now that that has become who we're as a society gravitating towards or we're we're kind of obsessing over these anti-heroes, as you're saying, that are not virtuous. Right. It, what does that say about us as a society? That's who we're looking to these days. Right. Right. And, you know, being able to look to the saints and, you know, <laughs> we always talk about this, I think. You know, coming coming into church, right, you see the icons on the iconostas or on the walls, you know, or maybe in your prayer corner. And, you know, I remember once, and I may have mentioned this before on the show, but I remember once going to a church and the priest had a conversation with a, a monastic once. And he asked him how he could help reach his parishioners. And he said, inspire them to be like the people on your walls. Yeah. And there were many, many icons in this church and many saints that I had never heard of, but being able to see them and and read their stories and understand what virtue is, what heroism is, what bravery is, what courage is, what love actually is, right? And we we see this in the scriptures as well. We see this in the life of Christ. And you know, oftentimes we want to escape to media to find these things. You know, we we see people really identifying with characters in film and television on a very surface level, but they're not anything more than an entertainment object, right? An object of entertainment rather. Yeah. And this particular story of St. George has some very important lessons for us as men to learn from. First of all, standing up against injustice and taking action when it's within your power to do so. You know, if someone's in danger and you have the power to do something, you should do something, right? Right. No, don't just sit on your hands and just let something happen when you could intervene. You could actually help to protect someone it, just as an example. And that may sound like something that goes without saying, but I think these days it, it needs to be said, Bryce. I mean, how many times do we see someone mistreated, abused, neglected or attacked, you know, whether physically or verbally, emotionally, psychologically, and we ourselves or others nearby just choose not to get involved, right? Right. I mean, it's it's oftentimes better to just kind of put your head down and act like you didn't see anything. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like I look back at my life, you know, when I was young and uh, I remember people picking on my younger brother. That's when I'd stand up. But sometimes I wouldn't always be there to do that. And, I, you know, there's times that I and I will confess this. Sometimes I look back at that in regret. But the important thing is, I think that we can look to a story like this of St. George and we can try to really be vigilant of these things in our own surroundings, mm -hmm. be vigilant of those who, you know, may be being neglected, may be being abused, may be being mistreated. Sometimes it's a really simple thing. Yeah. And this reminds me hearing you talk about it. It reminds me of a famous quote that's been largely attributed to Edmund Burke, but some say it actually is based on something John Stuart Mill once said. And the quote goes, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Mm. And this doesn't mean that we should go out looking to pick a fight, but it does mean that as men, we need to stand up for what is right. 
And sometimes that means doing or saying something that's very unpopular among people who are present. And as Christians, that may happen pretty often, especially these days with the way the culture is headed. Right, Bryce? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a difficult thing. Um, at times, you know, there is the, the need to pick your battles, but at the same time, identifying what battles need to be picked you know, where the line needs to be drawn. Someone said to me once, every man needs an Alamo. Hmm. Every man needs his Alamo. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are history buffs or Texas history buffs in our, uh, in our audience, you know, the story of the Alamo, you know, the story that a small group of men stood against many stood in the face of tyranny and all of them lost their lives to fight for what they believed in. And, you know, that's a, that is a big thing. Yeah. That is one of the greatest, losing your life for the sake of a friend is one of the greatest things that anyone could do. Yeah. And there's so much about the story of St. George that we could focus on, but I just, I do want to dig a little bit deeper into St. George's story. The icon of St. George is, is, is quite a statement in itself when you see it, but I want to kind of go through a couple of points, especially nearing the end of his life. And it would be it would be too much to talk about everything that's been written about St. George. So we'll just kind of focus on some highlights. First of all, St. George was a very talented officer in the Roman army, and he amazed and impressed everyone who knew him by his military exploits. And he died before he was 30 years old. That's something actually, Bryce, I didn't know that he, he didn't even live to see his 30th year on Earth. Wow. He's known as the victory bearer not only for his military achievements, but for successfully enduring martyrdom. In the Orthodox Church, the martyrs are commemorated in the dismissal at the end of services as the holy, right, victorious martyr, and then the martyr's name. I do want to talk about the life of St. George, and, and again, especially the circumstances that led to his martyrdom. But let's start at the very beginning. The holy, great martyr George, the victory bearer, was a native of Cappadocia, a district in Asia Minor, and he grew up in a deeply believing Christian family. His father was martyred for Christ when George was still a child. His mother, owning lands in Palestine, moved there with her son and raised him in strict piety. And Bryce, I have to stop there. I know I'm going to sound like a broken record when I say this, but here is yet another case of a saint who was raised in a very devout Christian family. We've talked about this in each of the last two episodes with the other saints that we've kind of talked about. And I don't think this is a coincidence. I think it's worthy talking about the value and the importance of what we can and should do as fathers when we're raising our kids. Our goal should be to raise the next generation of saints in our own households, to actually raise them to become like the saints that are on the church wall that you described earlier, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that there's things, you know, for the single men listening to this or the men who are married and do not yet have children, which includes myself. I think there's things that we can do in the meantime to help us prepare for those things. And, you know, whether that is prayer attendance of services, participating in the fast, which we all should do to the best of our ability. It's really being vigilant of the situation that the world is in and where we are living and, you know, taking account of our life so far, you know, not dwelling on any mistakes that we may have made, not dwelling on our faults necessarily, but looking to build upon those weaknesses, looking to build upon ourselves, not for the sake of ourselves, but really for the sake of the kingdom, really for helping the future generation. And, you know, something Father Hans always talks about is 
you know, with the Antiochian men is that the older men can act as a mentors to the younger men, right? You know, men who have been there and they have done that. And, you know, in America, in the Orthodox church, Michael, you and I have met so many people who may have come to the church when they were 80 years old. They may have come to the church when they were 15. They may have grown up in the church, you know, brought their girlfriend to church and they both get married in the church. Everyone's from a different walk of life. There's different things to learn from everybody. And again, not that you, you know, you can't be yourself in that, but being able to learn, being able to be vigilant about what's going on and where you're at and, you know, the path that you need to be on. Yeah, it's so interesting that you bring this up, Bryce, because just in the last week or so, there was a young man connected to my local parish that had said that he'd really become discouraged. He'd felt so isolated and was very, he was kind of discouraged about not being able to find the right wife or or where would he even look to try to find the right wife. And and he was was asking for advice in in this matter. And, you know, some of the guys uh, were, were trying to help him and we just kind of reiterated what Father Hans has said, and you mentioned something he, he had mentioned earlier, but but really trying to work on yourself and to make sure that when God puts that perfect person in your life, the woman that he has chosen for you, that you're ready for it. And in the meantime, you can really work on your, your own spirituality, on making advances in your own spiritual life. And it could be that the reason you haven't met the right person yet is that she's not ready. And so I think vigilance really factors into this where, you know, if you just focus on becoming, you know, the most pious, devout, orthodox Christian that you can, as an example, you know, God's going to put that that perfect lady in your life when you least expect it. It's it's usually not when you're expecting it is when it happens. And that's how you know it's God, because it, it's more it's more than a coincidence when it does happen. But our job isn't to wonder, oh, where is the perfect place to go or am I going to be finding the right kind of person? Our focus should be on making sure that we're ready, you know, and that's vigilance, making sure that we're readying ourselves. And so if you are a single guy out there, I mean, I'm married, I have children, but there was a time I was single and I can tell you my time would have been better off spent making strides in my own spiritual life, right? And making sure that when God did put that woman in my life, that I was as ready as I possibly could be to be worthy of that woman at that time. So I don't know if any of this resonates with you, Bryce, but that is some advice that I know I've heard from Father Hans and something just very recently that we had talked about with a man from our parish here at St. Nicholas. I mean, it does resonate with me, frankly, and (laughs) I I do hope that our listeners, it resonates with you as well. Uh, if that's a situation that you're in, um, it's important not to lose heart, right? I think that everything works out as it needs to work out. And, you know, two very simple things um, that I try to keep in mind. And again, bear in mind, Michael and I are laymen. We're not, we're not teachers of any type of thing. We're not priests, but um, things that I try to keep in mind are being faithful and um, being vigilant. And, you know, that's uh, it's not an attempt at pride. Forgive me if it comes across that way. But, um, you know, really just being faithful, trusting in God, doing the things that we need to do. And, um, you know, constantly learning along the way. Somebody said to me today, I'm a work in progress that's in progress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I uh, like that. You know, I, I felt that it was... Uh, <laughs> I felt that it was very applicable for this this recording because 
you know, we are never going to be perfect. You know, you can't be afraid of, you know, making mistakes. I think the biggest thing is trusting in God. And again, I'm going to say vigilance. Uh, you know, if I owe you money for saying vigilance a hundred times on this recording, <laughs> I don't have it. That's what we're here to talk about, Bryce, is vigilance. It's being ready. That's true. But let's get back to the story of St. George, because we just had talked about the fact that he was raised by pious parents. You know, when he became a man, St. George entered into the service of the Roman army. We talked about him being a warrior. He was very handsome. He was brave and valiant in battle. And he came to the attention of the emperor at the time, Diocletian, who was the Roman emperor from the year 284 to 305. And St. George joined the Imperial Guard with the rank of Comites, or military commander. The pagan emperor Diocletian is historically known for his intense persecution of Christians. I know you know this, Bryce, being a student of history. Especially in the final years of his reign, he was pretty brutal. Following the advice of the Senate at Nicodemia, Diocletian gave all of his governors full freedom in their court proceedings against Christians, and he promised them his full support. So St. George, when he heard the decision of the emperor, distributed all of his wealth to the poor, freed his servants, and then appeared in the Senate. And then St. George spoke out openly against the emperor's designs. He confessed himself a Christian and appealed to all to acknowledge Christ. And he said, quote, I am a servant of Christ, my God, and trusting in him, I have come among you voluntarily to bear witness concerning the truth, unquote. What is truth? One of the dignitaries asked, and that echoes the question of Pontius Pilate. The saint replied, quote, Christ himself, whom you persecuted, is truth, unquote. This reminds me of many, many stories of the persecutions during the Roman Empire um, that I had read about, you know, when I was young. And, and I think, you know, we've seen a lot of these in the Synexarion yeah. for Orthros on a Sunday morning. Um, but there is this place of boldness there. This is bravery. The fact that, you know, he, he sells all of his things, distributing his wealth to the poor, freeing his servants coming before the Roman Imperial Senate during one of the most intense persecutions since the emperor Nero in Roman history, perhaps one of the most intense persecutions in all of history, really. And he says <laughs> what he says. He says, I am a servant of Christ, my God, trusting in him. I have come to you voluntarily to bear witness concerning the truth. He wasn't arrested. He wasn't brought against his will. He did not come in fear. And him strictly saying straight up, Christ himself, whom you persecuted is truth when asked what is truth. Right. And this is somebody with credibility, Bryce, someone that had impressed the emperor. Right. Right. It wasn't just some Joe off the street. Yeah, he, you know, he was being decisive in his action. He knew exactly what he was doing for the reason that he was doing it. Cowardice is not virtuous. Yeah. Right. And there is no cowardice here. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of that. And and when St. George boldly said what he did, the Emperor Diocletian, understandably, was stunned. He was stunned that he said that. You know, this was a valiant warrior who the emperor had loved and promoted to a high position in the Roman army. Diocletian attempted to persuade George not to throw away his youth and glory and honors, but rather to offer sacrifice to the gods, as was the Roman custom. And St. George replied, quote, nothing in this inconstant life can weaken my resolve to serve God, 
unquote. Then by order of the enraged emperor, the armed guards began to push St. George out of the assembly hall with their spears, and they then led him off to prison. But the deadly steel became soft, and it bent, just as the spears touched the saint's body, and it caused him no harm. In prison, they put the martyr's feet in stocks and placed a heavy stone on his chest. You know, we often hear about miraculous things happening when the saints were attacked or tortured, you know, when they were imprisoned or, you know, really being taken away for their faith in Christ. And it can be very hard for us to believe as modern people, right, that something like that would ever happen. Right. You know, some people might attribute that to magic or something else ridiculous. But the stories of these miracles are just like the stories we hear of miracles in Scripture. And that's, you know, I think that's part of why we call them miracles in the first place. It's not something that you can really put your mind completely around in a materialist sense. Mm -hmm. And so the very fact that this happened means that God allowed it to be so that it would strengthen our faith. And then each time we hear of these miracles, we should seriously contemplate them, I think, and allow our faith to grow as a result, not focusing on, you know, oh, did that really happen? That's, I think it did. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's important to to really kind of let that go and to focus on the story. It's like, you know, when we speak to people and they talk to us and we're not really listening, we're not really taking anything away from that. We can just stand in church, mm. you know, and we can... We can hear the Synoxarion or we can hear the hymns of the day, whatever it might be, and in one ear or out the other. It can't register, but it's part of paying attention. Yeah, and our hearing these stories, it's so important. I mean, you mentioned the Synoxarion during Orthros on Sunday mornings. We learn so much by just paying attention to even to the, the short synopsis on the different saints that are being commemorated. And you're right, there's a lot of stories like this where there were mir miraculous things that happened and, and saints being healed in the midst of their torture. It is important that we take it in. There's a lot that can help us to grow our own in our own faith through these stories. And, and this story is no exception to that. In fact, I think it's one of the greatest ones. We go on into the story and we talk about the next day at the interrogation of St. George. He answered the emperor and he actually said these words. He said, quote, you will grow tired of tormenting me sooner than I will tire of being tormented by you. I love that statement. That's such a good quote. And then Diocletian gave the orders to subject St. George to some very intense tortures. They tied the great martyr to a wheel beneath which were boards pierced with sharp pieces of iron. And as the wheel turned, sharp edges slashed at the saint's naked body. At first, St. George loudly cried out to the Lord, but soon he quieted down and did not utter even a single groan. Diocletian decided that the tortured one was already dead, and he gave orders to remove the battered body from the wheel and then went to a pagan temple to offer thanks. And at this very moment, it got dark and thunder boomed and a voice was heard, quote, fear not, George, for I am with you, unquote. Then a wondrous light shone and at the wheel, an angel of the Lord appeared in the form of a radiant youth. He placed his hand upon the martyr, saying to him, rejoice. At that moment, St. George stood up healed. So, Bryce, here again is an example of him being healed through intense torture. And there's so many stories like this, but what an incredible story to help us to grow in our faith. Yeah. And hearing the voice of the Lord, mm. fear not. That is, that's so awesome. Like, I'll just be <laughs> honest about it, man. Like, yeah. that's so cool. It is. 
being healed after an intense torture. And, you know, the Romans were renowned for their torture techniques and, you know, being able to recover from that. And, you know, there is some motivation there, I think, at least some some perspective as well, because, you know, oftentimes I find myself in a place of suffering. Mm. Uh, and, I th- and I think many people do as well. Uh, that's part of life, isn't it? Yeah, it's part of our Christian struggle to the end. Um, but you know, I've never been, uh, tied to a wheel and <laughs> cut up yeah, and stabbed and, and injured brutally. But, you know, we, we do have our struggles and calling out to Christ to deliver us from them, or at the very least we call out and we say, give me the strength to endure this affliction. Hmm. Um, it, it puts it in perspective, right? Like our persecution if it's present, does not look exactly like this. But again, we can look to St. George. We can look to so many of the martyrs. St. Barbara, my patron, St. Jude, uh, St. Bartholomew, many people. Yeah, that's so true, Bryce. It, I, when I read the stories of the martyrs and, and especially what they went through close to their martyrdom, the torture, it does put my own suffering in perspective. And it it really does help me to do exactly what you said is to to kind of take a step back, to realize that all of us suffer in one way or another. It's not to minimize our own suffering that we're not being tortured to death, but mm-hmm. that does give us kind of an extreme view and a different perspective on our own suffering, perhaps, which I think is something we all can benefit from. Going on with the story, when the soldiers led St. George to the pagan temple where the emperor was, the emperor could not believe his own eyes, and he thought that he saw before him some other man or even a ghost. In confusion and in terror, the pagans looked at St. George very carefully, and they became convinced that a miracle had occurred. Many then came to believe in the life-creating God of the Christians. Two illustrious officials, St. Anatolius and Protoleon, were secretly Christians, and they openly confessed Christ. Immediately, without a trial, they were beheaded with the sword by order of the emperor. Also present in the pagan temple was Empress Alexandra, the wife of Diocletian, and she also knew the truth. She was on the point of glorifying Christ, but one of the servants of the emperor took her and led her off to the palace. At this point, the emperor became even more furious. He had not lost all hope of influencing St. George, so he gave him over to new and fearsome torments. After throwing him into a deep pit, they covered it over with lime. Three days later, they dug him out, but found him cheerful and unharmed. They shod the saint in iron sandals and red-hot nails and then drove him back to the prison with whips. In the morning, they led him back to the interrogation, cheerful and with healed feet, and the emperor asked if he liked his shoes. The saint said that the sandals had been just his size. Then they beat him with ox thongs until pieces of his flesh came off and his blood soaked the ground. But the brave sufferer, strengthened by the power of God, remained unyielding. The emperor concluded that the saint was being helped by magic, so he summoned the sorcerer Athanasius to deprive the saint of his miraculous powers or else imprison him. The sorcerer gave St. George two goblets of containing drugs. One of them would have quieted him and the other would kill him. The drugs had no effect and the saint continued to denounce the pagan superstitions and glorify God as before. When the emperor asked what sort of power was helping him, St. George said, Do not imagine that it is any human learning which keeps me from being harmed by these torments. I am saved only by calling upon Christ and his power. Whoever believes in him has no regard for tortures and is able to do the things that Christ did. That reminds me 
of a verse in the gospel according to St. John uh, in chapter 14, verse 12. Christ says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. Hmm. And in the Orthodox study Bible, we're told that the greater works indicate that Christ's working through mere humans after Pentecost is greater than his performing signs and wonders directly. And so these works attested in the book of Acts include spreading the gospel throughout the world, miraculous healings, and raising the dead. And so I think this just shows that St. George had a very strong faith in Christ. And it's not through his own physical toughness. It's not through his own mental toughness that he can do any of this. Mm. But because of his faith, but because of his belief in Christ, and his belief negated the fear of torture, and it led to miraculous healings of his own body multiple times as he was tortured, and he continued to speak the truth. That is the important thing. Yeah. That's so true, Bryce. Let's finish this story strong. When St. George said what he did, Diocletian asked what sort of things Christ had done. And the martyr replied, quote, he gave sight to the blind, cleansed the lepers, healed the lame, gave hearing to the deaf, cast out demons and raised the dead, unquote. Knowing that they had never been able to resurrect the dead through sorcery, nor by any of the gods known to him, and wanting to test the saint, the emperor commanded him to raise up a dead person before his eyes. The saint retorted, quote, You wish to tempt me, but my God will work this sign for the salvation of the people who shall see the power of Christ, unquote. When they led St. George down to the graveyard, he cried out, quote, O Lord, show to those here present that you are the only God in all the world. Let them know you as the Almighty Lord, unquote. Then the earth quaked, a grave opened, the dead one emerged from it alive. Having seen with their own eyes the power of Christ, the people wept and glorified the true God. The sorcerer Athanasius, falling down at the feet of St. George, confessed Christ as the all-powerful God and asked forgiveness for his sins, committed in ignorance. The emperor in his impiety thought otherwise, and in a rage he commanded both Athanasius and the man raised from the dead to be beheaded, and he had St. George again locked up in prison. And the people weighed down with their infirmities began to visit the prison, and they there received healing and help from the saint. A certain farmer named Glycerius, whose ox had collapsed, also visited him. The saint consoled him and assured him that God would restore his ox to life. When he saw the ox alive, the farmer began to glorify the God of the Christians throughout all the city. By order of the emperor, St. Glycerius was arrested and beheaded. It's interesting, Michael, that there are many, many times in both the Old New Testament and post New Testament that there are leaders that kind of try to go toe to toe with God or his prophets or his saints, right? You think of Pharaoh in the Old Testament um, when Moses appears in his court yeah. and he has his sorcerers there with him trying to kind of outduel Moses. And then the plagues come. <laughs> That's right. exactly right. And his heart was hardened many times and mm -hmm. he kind of paid the price for it. And then, you know, you have uh, Diocletian here as well. Um, and I think you could probably even throw uh, Julian the Apostate in there as well with, you know, just leaders that believe and again in the roman world and many ancient societies as well the uh the king or the pharaoh or the emperor is viewed as a god yeah 
present on this earth and is worshipped as such. And, you know, today there are many people as well that their hearts are continually hardened by really not believing. Yeah. And they refuse to believe so because it may kind of undermine everything in their whole life. It, it definitely, let me tell you something. For those of us who are in the church, if you, you know, came in from a Protestant or, uh, you know, a Catholic or even an atheist or agnostic background or another faith, orthodoxy challenged your worldview. It challenged mine. Mm. And I think even those of us who are, who may have grown up in, in the church, you know, it continually challenges our worldview. And I think especially, you know, in our culture, in American culture, where everything is very much different and everything is in a way flipped on its head, opposed from orthodoxy, you are, you know, you begin to question this and, you know, we are continually choosing every day. Michael, you have said before that you are converting every day. Yeah. Right. And we are willingly making this, you know, when we come into the church, we accept the teachings of the church. We reject all heresies, both modern and ancient. And that's, because we believe that the church is true and it's, it's not because we say it's true, right? But we come in and we seek to make a change and we come into the church because of Christ and because of how the church has survived, not only just survived, but really shown the beauty of this truth. The breadth of orthodoxy is so wide that I don't know if we'll ever see the ends of it in our lifetime. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned the fact that we have to make a choice. We have to change we have to make that choice every day. You know, it's not like a one and done. It's not a single event in our lives. You know, this example of Diocletian constantly making the choice to deny that Christ is the true God, right? I, there are people out there that refuse to accept Christ as, as, as God, that accept to, to really believe that there even is a God. <laughs> we know a lot of atheists right. that are out there. Right. And it, it could, if they were to actually embrace it. it, it could call into question their very way of life. And that may be too terrifying a concept or a prospect for them. Yeah. And it's a, it's a challenge, I think. Yeah. You know, even there's so much out there and I think it's always been this way. And I think we really do see that with this story, mm -hmm. with this account of the saint in that, you know, he is constantly being challenged, but he stands firm. Yeah, and during this time in the story of, of the great martyr George, you know, the exploits, the miracles, it increased the number of Christians, and therefore Diocletian made a final attempt to compel the saint to offer sacrifice to idols. And they set up a court at the pagan temple of Apollo. And on the final night, the holy martyr prayed fervently, and as he slept, he saw the Lord, who raised him up with his hand and embraced him. The Savior placed a crown on St. George's head and said, quote, Fear not. But have courage, and you will soon come to me and receive what has been prepared for you. Unquote. In the morning, the emperor offered to make St. George his co administrator, second only to himself. The holy martyr, with a feigned willingness, answered, Caesar, you should have shown me this mercy from the very beginning instead of torturing me. Let us go now to the temple and see the gods you worship. Diocletian believed that the martyr was accepting his offer. And he followed him to the pagan temple with his advisors and all the people. Everyone was certain that St. George would offer sacrifice to the gods. The saint went up to the idol, made the sign of the cross, and addressed it as if it were alive. St. George said, Are you the one who wants to receive from me sacrifice befitting God? The demon inhabiting the idol cried out, I am not a god, and none of those like me is a god either. 
The only God is he whom you preach. We are fallen angels, and we deceive people because we are jealous. St. George cried out, How dare you remain here when I, the servant of the true God, have entered? Then noises and wailing were heard from the idols, and they fell to the ground and were shattered. There was general confusion, and in a frenzy, pagan priests and many of the crowd seized the holy martyr, tied him up, and began to beat him. And they also called for his immediate execution. The holy empress Alexandra tried to reach him, and pushing her way through the crowd, she cried out, O God of George, help me, for you alone are all-powerful. At the feet of the great martyr, the holy empress confessed Christ, who had humiliated the idols and those who worshipped them. Diocletian immediately pronounced the death sentence on the great martyr George and the holy empress Alexandra, who followed St. George to execution without resisting. Along the way, she fell faint and slumped against a wall. There she surrendered her soul to God. St. George gave thanks to God and prayed that he would also end his life in a worthy manner. At the place of execution, the saint prayed that the Lord would forgive the torturers who act in ignorance and that he would lead them to the knowledge of truth. Calmly and bravely, the holy great martyr George bent his neck beneath the sword, receiving the crown of martyrdom on April 23rd in the year 303. The pagan era at that point was basically coming to an end and Christianity was about to triumph. Within 10 years, St. Constantine would issue the Edict of Milan, granting religious freedom to Christians. This reminds me of the Beatitudes and the verse where the Lord says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And the strength that it took to forgive those who had beaten him, wounded him, did not believe him, did not believe that he was confessing the truth did not believe the works of God that were very apparent before them. It was very Christ-like uh, since Christ also asked his Father in heaven to forgive those who crucified him, who put on him a crown of thorns, who tortured him, who made him march up Golgotha with a cross on his shoulders, even as he was hanging on that cross. And, you know, it does give us an example of what theosis looks like at the very end of a martyr's life and, you know, being able to read a martyr's life. Um, Michael, you and I had talked, I don't think either of us had ever read this in its entirety. Yeah. The story of St. George and seeing that, you know, there is great strength and great heroism here. And uh, <laughs> it's not something that I think you'd find in any modern story. No, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the strength, the courage and the vigilance that St. George exhibited in his life, and especially during the many tortures that he endured, it just gives us a, a very powerful example for us as men to look to. Bryce, let's move on to the saint that you selected for this episode. Sure. After uh, much deliberation, um, I had decided to uh, go over St. Paisios the Athenite, um, who was recently canonized, by the way, about eight years ago. Yeah, he's a more recent saint of the Orthodox Church. And before we even get into his life, there's something called the St. Paisios Brotherhood that I believe, Bryce, you're a member of and that Father Hans leads. And I was wondering if you would just briefly talk about what that is. So the St. Paisios Brotherhood, Michael, as you mentioned, I am a, a part of that um, as a member. Basically, it is a group of men that or, you know, seeking to cultivate virtue. And St. Paisius is the patron saint and the father of the St. Paisius Brotherhood. You know, there is a quote on the website, so you can go to the website, st p 
P-A-I-S-I-O-S, brotherhood.com, brotherhood.com. Uh, manliness is when you give yourself completely over to God. And so uh, I've been involved uh, to varying degrees with the Brotherhood over the last uh, year or so. And um, really just reading about St. Paisios and getting an understanding of who he was um, briefly, it's been it's been a really cool experience, especially as a modern saint. So I'll give a brief synopsis of his early life, uh, just so we can get an idea of you know where he was at and and who he was before he became Saint Paisios. So Saint Paisios was born in 1924 in Cappadocia, which as it, as it would be, uh, Saint George was also from Cappadocia. That's right. And we did not plan on this, but they are actually from the same place, Cappadocia, two to very different times, of course. Exactly. <laughs> he was baptized with the name Arsenios uh, by St. Arsenios the Cappadocian. Uh, and he named the child after himself and foretold of uh, Arsenios's monastic future. And so uh, St. Paisios was born into a Greek family. Um, during a population exchange between Greece and Turkey after the fall of the Ottoman Empire. So before St. Paisios was named Paisios, he was known as Arsenios then is what you're saying. Yes, that's right. Okay, so there was a name change there. Exactly. So the family moved back to Greece to Eperis. Uh Our Greek listeners or our Greek-speaking listeners, please forgive my <laughs> pronunciation. <laughs> it's a good effort. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I'm... I'm learning. I'm I'm working here. And so uh, in his early life, he had a great love for the church and he became a carpenter's apprentice at the age of 11. And while he was a carpenter's apprentice, he would spend much of his time in the mountains and in caves to pray and fast and keep vigil as a very young man. And so Christ himself appeared to Asenios when he was young after a childhood friend questioned Christ as being fully God. And Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And so when St. Paisius Arsenius at this time was a young man, uh, he served in the Greek military during the Greek Civil War. So this was in the mid-1940s. And uh, military service is not an arena short of the need of vigilance, right? Yeah. When the saint joined up, when he decided to join up, he asked the Theotokos to let him suffer and undergo peril, but not for him to kill anyone. And, you know, briefly, I want to interrupt briefly. This does remind me of uh, another person that we have talked on the podcast about, uh, and he was not Orthodox, but he has a great story as well. Desmond Dawes, uh, you may know him from Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, Desmond yeah. Dawes was a Seventh-day Adventist who felt it was his duty to join the military, although he would not carry a weapon. And he underwent much peril trying to save dozens of men from the top of Hacksaw Ridge in the Pacific Islands. And uh, he was able to do so. Uh, Desmond Dawes was a medic, but St. Paisios served as a radio operator. And so during his military service, there was an instance when he and his regiment were under attack. And this is a, this is a great story. So his objective was to install a radio antenna, and after several failed attempts, I mean, he was taking fire from the enemy, shrapnel exploding all around. St. Paisios was finally able to install the antenna and get coordinates out for help for his for his unit. 
And so by the morning, air support came in and thinned out the enemy greatly. They were surrounded by about 1,600 men, and it dropped down to 180 after that. And so he then realized that the ultimate mission of a monastic was to assist people with prayer. And so he said once that people often say, what are these monks doing? Why don't they go out into the world to help society? Saying so, however, is like scolding a radio operator in combat action, saying, well, what are you doing there with that walkie-talkie? Drop it, grab your rifle, and go shoot it. Oh, man, that is such a great story, and it it really teaches such an important point, right? Because, you know, I know I saw recently with you, Bryce, the movie New Men, which is a documentary that somebody even from our diocese, his name is Sam Cox, created that film. And it's about a monastic community in West Virginia here in the United States. And I remember in that movie, in that documentary, one of the monks was talking about the role of monks is prayer, right? And the importance of that. And that the monks live in community with each other and each of them has a role in something that's assigned to them in obedience, something they're responsible for. So one monk does the cooking, one does the finances, one makes incense, one tends to the garden. And they have that obedience and that one task, but then in synergy, they work in really a very synergistic way as a community, and it opens up more time for prayer. And and it was such a revelation when I learned about that. And it's just like this, where this story is talking about the role of like a radio operator and he is completely assigned to that obedience to that task, right? Just as a monk is assigned to a task so that they have more time in their life for prayer. And this is such a great illustration of this, Bryce. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the role of the monastics is to pray for the world and those prayers greatly benefit us, even though we may take them for granted, right? Yeah. We may not see it, happening all the time physically with our eyes, right? But it is happening and the effects are there. I think every, uh, someone said once every great deed, uh, has an impact on the world and every, everything antithetical to that also has an impact on the world. So there is a constant spiritual warfare going on. And so St. Paisius did go to Athos, um, after he was discharged from the military in 1949, um, it took him about a year to get there in 1950. And, um, then he began to live his monastic life. He was tonsured as a, uh, as a monk in 1954. And then, um, he was given the small schema in 1957. And in 1958, he was asked to spend some time close to his home village. So to support the faithful against the proselytism of Protestant groups. He came back to Athos in 1964 after going to St. Catherine's Monastery on Mount Sinai in 1962. And he was there for a couple of years. Um, the big thing that I want to focus on, though, is uh, is the stories about St. Paisios and the impact that he had on people's lives on a very personal level. I was recently reading a book called... The Gurus, the Young Man, and Elder Paisios. And so in this book, a young man recalls his encounters with St. Paisios while the saint was on the holy mountain. And in the book, I've read stories about his interactions with this young man. And this young man initially, uh, during his meetings with Elder Paisios, was involved in yoga and other Eastern ideas of spirituality. But he began to go to the holy mountain uh, when he was young time after time, and he met St. Paisios there. 
And St. Paisius looked after him like a son, and it seemed at times that he had the gift of clairvoyance, watchfully looking over the journey of this young man in the book on several occasions. And so one example that I want to include, I was actually reading through it today, um, is a section entitled The Spiritual Helmet. Hmm. And uh, this young man is enduring many, many thoughts. Uh, he's involved in combat with passionate thoughts, in fact. And he had a relentless fight when he was trying to grasp the difference between Orthodox Christianity and Eastern religions. So systematically, he's trying to break down these differences, buys a big notebook, trying to go back and forth between what the differences are. Questions about the existence of God, who the true God was, what is the true religion. You know, oftentimes we hear that if all religions are saying the same thing, which one of them is true? Yeah. Which one of them tells the truth? exactly as as it is and so uh this young man put up with thoughts for three days and then he went to saint paisios's cell He was physically exhausted spiritually exhausted and saint paisios asked him how are your spirits holding up and he said it was a joy and a source of encouragement just to see the elder although he felt faint he found the strength to smile back and say oh elder i can't continue anymore i can't take it any longer so the saint laughed as he approached him and said, have a seat so we can put things in order. And then he gave him a tap on the head and the evil thoughts led to a halt. Mm. And uh, he went through his trials and uh, St. Paisios said, he called, he called the demon an imp. That's what he called him. I don't mm. know if that's appropriate. I'm sure this is a family show. <laughs> but... Um, said that imp, that's what the elder called the demon, was bothering you. Don't be afraid, it's just a battle. When you're having a hard time, come over here so I can fire off a bullet to help you. <laughs> Say the Jesus prayer, wait a minute, and I'll bring you a spiritual helmet. And so with a cheerful laugh, he went into his cell and came out with a brown monastic cap, and he gave it to him. And he took the cap, and he made the sign of the cross over three times and put it on his head. He then smiled and said, let me take a look at you. You've become a fine soldier. Now those impassioned thoughts won't come near you. They'll hit the helmet and bounce right off. That's why the officers in the army would yell at us about wearing our helmets on the battlefield. Just be careful not to lose it. Wow, that's that's really an amazing part of that book that you just read. And it's interesting how St. Paisios' experience in the military informed his vigilance in his prayer life and in his spiritual life and in his ability to relate to others and to give advice to others. I remember I read a biography of St. Paisios, which is a very thick book, probably the thickest book I have uh, ever read. And there were so many incredible stories and interactions that he had with people who were on pilgrimage. And, and I'm sure you know this, Bryce, he was constantly visited mm -hmm. and he would always make time for people. And there's some incredible sayings of St. Paisios from that book that you mentioned, from the one I read, and and so many of them are worth sharing with others, and there's so much wisdom in them. I don't know if you have any sayings from St. Paisios you'd like to share, but uh, maybe if one or two of those you could share, it, it might be helpful to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, he said, a little study and a lot of prayer. We must participate in prayer and worship with our whole heart. Hmm. That requires effort. Yeah. Right. And that uh, not half of our heart. Right. Right. Not a fraction. Our whole heart. Right. We must participate. We must stand at attention. 
right? Yeah, we have that's good advice, and that's vigilance. That's being fully engaged, right? It is, absolutely. And then another one that I did want to share is that uh, St. Paisius said, the devil does not hunt after those who are lost. He hunts after those who are aware, those who are close to God. He takes them from trusting God and begins to afflict them with self-assurance, logic, thinking, and criticism. Therefore, we should not trust our logical minds. Hmm. Yeah, that's, oh man, that kind of hits me like a ton of bricks because I'm so tempted often to use my logical mind to explain away things. And to hear that from St. Paisios, we shouldn't trust our logical mind. It can really sometimes lead us astray or down the wrong path. And and also just talking about the devil not hunting for those who are already lost. As we've talked about this before. The devil doesn't attack the people that he already has in his claws, right, in his grips. It's those who are close to God. So here's St. Paisio saying the exact same thing. There's another great saying from that book that you mentioned, and it's a little bit longer quote, but I wanted to read that. And then, Bryce, maybe you can give your reaction. But here's what St. Paisio says, quote, Give thanks to God for everything. Try to be manly. Pull yourself together a bit. Do you know what Christians are suffering in other countries? There are such difficulties in Russia, but here many exhibit indifference. There's not enough disposition to kindness, love of devotion. You see, if we don't begin to make war against evil, to expose those who tempt believers, then the evil will grow larger. If we throw aside fear, then the faithful will be emboldened a bit, and those who wage war against the church will have a harder time. In the past, our nation lived spiritually, so God blessed her, and the saints helped us in miraculous fashion, and we were victorious against our enemies, who always outnumbered us. Today, we continue to call ourselves Orthodox Christians, but we don't live Orthodox lives. Ooh, man, Bryce, that one is, uh, I mean, that's right on the nose, but that one, that one really does hit us pretty hard, too, especially reading that as an Orthodox Christian. I look at myself pretty critically. Absolutely. You know, it does remind me of something that the Father Seraphim Rose of Blessed Memory said once. Orthodox is not just a name that you call yourself. It is a life that you live. And, you know, really a part of that is taking the fight to the devil. That's part of spiritual combat in a sense. You're not just taking the hits here. You know, you you don't need to put up the white flag. You don't need to run away. And I think that's a temptation a lot of the time is to say, oh, I can't do it. Hmm. Let me take off. Let me go in the wrong direction. Let me fill my mind. Let me fill my life with distraction. You know, it may be video games, it may be television, it may be music, maybe, you know, YouTube, whatever it might be. You know, there is that temptation to say, ah, I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to confront this. Yeah. And you do not grow if there is no discomfort. Yeah. Right. And it's, again, we talk a lot about, you know, spiritual muscle growth as well as physical muscle growth. If a muscle is not put under some discomfort, if it is not put under stress, then it does not grow. You do not get stronger the next time. And a lot of the time, you know, sometimes our, our worries are not as big as we think that they are. But being able to meet them head on, you know, that takes strength. Yeah, Bryce. And the, the other thing, St. Paisio, he talks a lot about heroism. And, you know, again, he had that experience being in the military, but he has several different works. One of them is called On Our Times by St. Paisio the Athenite. 
And I was wanting to read a little bit of that and, and also get your reaction to this. But he had shared so much wisdom in his writings and in his interaction with people's commenting on the times, on the, the way the world had kind of changed. And because he's a more recent modern Orthodox saint, he's talking about times that are much closer to where we are now. So a lot of it sounds very prophetic. And here's here's an excerpt here from On Our Times. So these are St. Paisios's words. The world has lost control of itself. Honor and self-sacrifice have abandoned people. The taste of sacrificial joy is unknown to today's people, and that's why they're so tortured. For only when you co-participate in the pain of another do miracles happen. If a person doesn't cultivate in himself the spirit of self-sacrifice, and he thinks only of himself and doesn't receive divine grace, the more a person forgets himself, the more God remembers him. Those who die heroically don't really die. And where there's no heroism, nothing worthwhile can be expected. Our time is like a bubbling and streaming cauldron. One needs temperament, audacity, courage. Take care not to be caught unprepared if something is to happen. Start getting ready now so that you'll be able to resist difficulties. Christ himself tells us, therefore, be ye also ready, doesn't he? Today, living in such complicated times, we have not to be nearly ready, but triply ready at the minimum. Possibly we may meet not only with sudden death, but with other dangers. So let's drive away the desire to arrange our lives comfortably. May love of honor and the spirit of self-sacrifice live in us. That's a really powerful excerpt, Bryce, and talking about especially what it means to be vigilant. I mean, in this, he specifically quotes Christ, therefore be ye also ready. Right. You know, this speaks directly to the need for vigilance and especially in the times that we're living in now. Yeah. And it is about cultivating virtue. You know, he says, start getting ready now so that you'll be able to resist difficulties. Right. That's a very broad way of saying that, right? Difficulties are various things. It could be your air conditioning unit goes out, you know, and you're tempted with that, tempted with the, the frustration that comes from that. Your car might not start. Uh, you may go into some type of financial disarray, right? Like taking care of where you're at now. And that's just, those are external things. Being vigilant over where, you know, our soul is, what perhaps things that may, for lack of a better term, trigger us, right? Where we're at throughout the day, whether it trigger the passions, being vigilant for that. You know, if it's rush hour traffic or, you know, if it is some unsightly thing that we may see through our interactions or the media that we consume, right? We need to be ready for these things. These are other dangers. And so let us also drive away the desire to arrange our lives comfortably. Yeah. It is through the challenge of discomfort that the masculine grows, right? It's through the, I mean, really for anyone to grow. And so may love and honor of the spirit of self-sacrifice live in us. That is something outside of ourselves. That is something that does not concern just me. The world does not revolve around me, right? Every trouble that happens is not my fault necessarily. It is not in a prideful way because of me, but it is something that we need to be aware of, right? We need to be aware of everything that is going on and be ready for any dangers so that they may come and that we may be able to endure them. Yeah, Bryce, and, and St. Paisios also talks a lot about 
someone who dies for someone else, like death in battle. Would you read that excerpt that we were both looking at earlier about, you know, dying for somebody else? And this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about laying down your life for a friend. He says, death in battle adds greatly to God's mercy for a person who dies a death of the brave, sacrifices himself to defend others. Those who give up their lives out of pure love in order to defend their neighbor are imitating Christ. And these people are supreme heroes. Supreme heroes. He actually goes on to say they arouse fear in our enemies. Death herself trembles before them because they scorn her due to their great love and attain immortality in this fashion, finding the key to eternity under the gravestone. They enter into eternal blessedness without difficulty. You know, Bryce, this takes me right to John chapter 15, verse 13, where Christ says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's a verse I know many have heard before, probably multiple times, but St. Paisio articulates this so well and expands on it in that excerpt. I also wanted to read a little bit more from this On Our Times by St. Paisios, if that's okay with you, Bryce. There's just so much richness in what he says. Please do. There's another quote here. That's why I say to you, cultivate self-sacrifice, brotherly love. May each of you attain a spiritual condition that will allow you to get out of difficult situations. Without a spiritual condition, a person loses courage because he loves himself. He can renounce Christ, betray him. You must be ready for death. We believe that nothing is in vain, that our sacrifice has meaning. He even goes on to say there's no spiritual life without sacrifice. Try to remember at least a little bit that death exists. And since we will die in any case, let's not take care of ourselves too much. That's a great quote, isn't it, Bryce? It is, and it is the exact opposite of the nihilism that I think runs rampant among many people, the the hedonistic tendencies that people may have. Oh, nothing is real. There's no truth. It doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. Why sacrifice anything, right? Why do anything that, you know, has meaning? If there is no meaning, that's what people would say. And, you know, I really love the part without a spiritual condition, a person loses courage because he loves himself. He can renounce Christ and betray him. You must be ready for death. People people don't like to talk about death. No, it's not something we like thinking about either. Right. And nothing, nothing in this life is without meaning. And the sacrifice that has a meaning, you know, it's important to keep this stuff in mind, I think. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, I think people can ask themselves, you know, what's the point of doing this? But we are cultivating virtue and we are cultivating our treasure in heaven through our actions. And we do these things because of our love for Christ. If we do not have love, then we do not have anything. Yeah. You know, going on in this in this piece, there's so much, again, wisdom in what St. Paisio said. There's another part here that, that kind of expands on what we've been talking about. St. Paisios wrote, look after your health but not to the degree when you begin to bow down before your peace and well-being. I'm not asking anyone to throw themselves headlong into dangerous adventures, but you have to have at least a bit of heroism, my brother. Feats are committed not by the tall in size, but by the audacious, the heartfelt, and the self-sacrificing. There's no barbarity in spiritual audacity. I want to come back to that point of spiritual audacity, Bryce, but I want to read on here because there's another very related part of this writing. St. Paisios wrote, in order to succeed at anything, one needs a wild streak. 
in the positive sense. He who lacks this wild streak can become neither a hero nor a saint. The heart must become uncalculating. In our age, audacity has become a rarity. Water, not blood, flows in people's veins. So if a war were to break out, God forbid, many would simply die of fright, while others would lose heart because they're used to an easy life. Fear is necessary when it helps a person turn to God. Fear from lack of faith, from lack of trust in God, on the other hand, is ruinous. Such fear is driven out by audacity. Bryce, I love this talk about the first of all, the, the term spiritual audacity, and also what St. Paisio says about needing to have a wild streak, but I think that's a controlled wild streak, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you, you know, you initially read that, I mean, when I initially read this, I was somewhat confused by that mm. because I think that it's, first of all, I don't think I've ever heard the words uttered spiritual wild streak Right. And he talks about wild streak in the positive sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like we're taught these days as men, Bryce, the culture tells us that we should not be too wild or have that wildness because it's toxic in a lot of cases. But in this case, St. Paisios is suggesting that there is a positive side or a positive sense to having a wild streak. Right. And, you know, he does say there's no barbarity in spiritual audacity. Yeah. And so, you know, the definition of barbarity is that, you know, it is savage or cruel, mm. brutality, a savage act, being uncivilized or uncultured, right? That's, we're not talking about Conan here. No, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a type of strength that I, I really think is kind of lost on, you know, on the world today, right? And you know, we often say that there's a lot of issues with the world today, and there is, and there is an attack on manhood, and of course there is. But, you know, this, to me, shows a solution, right? In order to succeed at anything, one needs a wild streak. There has to be effort there, giving it all your effort, giving it all, you know, I might offend somebody here. Yeah. I might uh, I might do something that makes me uncomfortable, Right. Yeah, those are risks, right? And we've talked about the need to take risks. And the word audacity means a willingness to take bold risks. Exactly. Right? So having spiritual audacity is the goal. It's not just sitting back and and just going through the motions. It's to have audacity means you have to take risks in your spiritual life. Risks meaning that you have to put yourself out there. You have to risk being unpopular. You have to risk doing something that others might judge you for in the world. Right. You know, and he says, he who lacks this wild streak can neither become a hero nor a saint. Nor a saint. That's saying something, isn't it? Right. And, you know, when I was a little kid, and I'm sure this is the same for you, Michael, because I think it's similar for many, many boys when they're young, they want to be the hero. Yeah. You know, they see themselves as slaying the dragon, saving the girl, taking on unbelievable odds. Right. But that is in a this is not how you necessarily imagine it, I think, at times in the spiritual right. sense. And so, you know, kind of, I guess, unlocking what that means or beginning to understand what that means. The heart must become uncalculating. Now, I think uh, in an age where many people are reserved, controlled, 
audacity is not a part of their personality. It's not, it's not a part of, you know, the, the steps that they attempt to take. That is a huge challenge. Yeah. People want to play it safe, right? Right. But, uh, you don't really get anywhere by playing it safe. Yeah. Bryce, there's one other thing I wanted to read from St. Paisios and maybe we can then bring it to a close and you can give some of your, your final thoughts here on St. Paisios and St. George. So I'll go ahead and read. I think this is probably one of the best ways to bring this episode to the close is to read this, this final excerpt from On Our Times by St. Paisios, the Athenite. And this is St. Paisios talking about uh, being a warrior. So he says, the warrior takes joy in the fact that he's dying so that others won't have to. If you dispose yourself this way, then nothing will be frightening. Courage is born from much love, kindness, and self-sacrifice. Today, people don't even want to hear about death. However, the person that does not maintain remembrance of death is living outside of reality. Those who fear death and love life's vanities are in a state of spiritual stagnation. Bold people who always keep death before them and think about it constantly, on the other hand, conquer vanity and begin to live in eternity and heavenly joy while still here on earth. This line, courage is born from much love, kindness, and self-sacrifice. When I think about the virtues that, you know, that we attempt to cultivate and something that I've really resonated on in my life, courage is one of them that I have always felt that I wanted to embolden, you know, and, um, St. Paisius really gives, a, I guess, an outline of, of what we need to do, right? The remembrance of death, the remembrance that is there. I'm reminded of a verse from the wisdom of Sirach. Remember thy last end, O man, and thou shalt sit no more, right? That takes boldness to resist temptation. And again, we're going to, I'm going to fall on our faces more than a few times before the end, but getting up and repenting again and again and again and again and again, that is such an important thing. And it's an essential thing in the Christian life. And, you know, there is fear faced through that. Sometimes there is fear in attempting to live the spiritual life. You know, what will people think of me if I don't participate in this? You know, what will I think of myself? Am I really making the right decision here? Am I really doing the right thing here? You know, is this ever going to work out for me? All of that fear there, right? The fear that I may fall into temptation again, that I may sin again, all of that. Such fear is driven out by audacity. Having a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God is indeed ruinous. And so, you know, I think that that we do need that spiritual audacity and you know, Michael, I don't know about you and for any of our listeners out there as well, you know, go back and and read this yourself if you can or listen to this part again, because it really is. It's motivating. And at the same time, it, it does make me hopeful, not just for myself, but for so many others that we can live this life and that we can be spiritually audacious, that we can have this wild streak at times that we can cultivate courage, that things are going to work out. And we're going to face temptation. We're going to be afraid sometimes, but God is right there with us. Being courageous through love and kindness and self-sacrifice and looking for these opportunities in our lives. You know, I'm walking away from this thinking of how can I do this myself? And so my hope is that, you know, for those of you listening as well, that 
the words of St. Paisius and the words of St. George even as well in their lives that we can take from there and be emboldened through that. We can find courage, we can find boldness, we can find heroism, and we can find bravery and love and obedience and everything else and everything we do for Christ. So this was a fun this was a fun thing to to go through and really this had me feeling hopeful, really, and and wanting to do what is necessary, right? We always talk about doing our best. That's good, but sometimes it's it is doing what's necessary and it is going head on into the fight, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in God who's there with us. I can say I've definitely learned a lot in the research for this episode and learned a lot about vigilance from St. George, the trophy bearer, and from St. Paisios of Mount Athos. They both gave us some great examples of what it means to be vigilant and how we as men can learn from their example. I think my biggest takeaway comes from the idea of being a warrior. Both of these men were military men at one point in their lives. And we can learn a lot from their examples through the lives that they lived. I especially think that if we take the concept of spiritual audacity as men and really think about applying that to our lives, I think all of us need to think about what it means to have a wild streak and how we can use that for the glory of God. But when we say a wild streak, we have to remember what does it mean in a positive sense? How can we be bold and courageous and have spiritual audacity while at the same time being vigilant and looking for where possible dangers could come from? No one wants to be a coward. And it's important that we as men lead those who we're responsible for throughout our lives for as long as we can or for as long as God gives us the ability to do so. All of the saints give us wonderful lessons on all of the virtues, but when it comes to vigilance, I can't think of any other saints to better exhibit these virtues than St. George and St. Paisios. And I would encourage all of you to get to know not just these saints, but all the saints and how they exhibit these virtues such as vigilance so well in the examples of their lives. I know when Bryce and I started this series, we thought that we would be doing something new and something different, and we have. But we've also benefited from this process and we have learned a lot about these saints. And it just speaks to the importance of doing just that, of getting to know the saints. The saints are alive in Christ. They are there to intercess for us and we ask for their prayers. But we also should get to know them and learn from their examples. They're always pointing to Christ and there's no reason why we shouldn't put in a little extra effort to get to know them better than we do now. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Coming Out of Chaos. Please remember to check out our website at antiochianmen.org to learn more about our organization. We also have many videos available that can be found on that website as well as on our Amen YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, just to name a few. So be sure to follow us on the platform of your choice. We'd also appreciate a positive review if the platform allows you to do so. Please share this podcast with your friends and help us to spread the word about it. We want to thank everyone who has been sending us feedback on our podcast episodes. If anyone would like to send us any feedback, just send an email to amendomse at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments for us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 